This is Tony Thomason. Today is Tuesday, May 10th, 2016. Today I'm interviewing for the first time architect Donna Carter. This interview is taking place at my home at 300 Bowie Street in Austin, Texas. This interview is being done for the Austin History Center and is one of a series of interviews with and about Austin Travis County architects. Hi Donna. Hi Tony. Let's start by having you tell me your full name and when and where you were born. My name is Donna Dean Carter, and I was born in Dayton, Ohio, June 18, 1952. And did you grow up there, or did you grow up somewhere else? I grew up um, really up until I was about age six in several different places. So I lived in Dayton, Ohio for three or four years, then moved to Englewood, New Jersey, and then um, finally moved um, up to Sudbury, Massachusetts, where I spent most of my um, childhood and then teenage years before I went to college. Okay. Tell me about when you first knew you wanted to be an architect. I didn't really know I wanted to be an architect until after I said I was majoring in architecture in a school that had no majors. So I um, went to Yale University as an undergraduate. And this was during uh, sort of the end of the 1960s. My first year there was 1970. And so it was a tumultuous time. And we were coming off of the Black Panther trials in New Haven. New Haven was somewhat a volatile, volatile place. It was also um, during, uh, at the end of um, urban renewal, where big swaths of cities mm -hmm. had been totally removed. And, sort of in, and in New Haven, they were replaced by highways, as they were in many and most places and it was the Oak Street Connector. It was the street to nowhere. It literally just went off into the air and stopped. And, um, but I actually was a graphic artist. I mean, I liked to do things with color. I liked to do things with line. And um, there had been some uh, fairly uh, famous uh, graphic designers and graphic artists that had gone through Yale. So I had a, a, a pretty nice curriculum around that. And so my problem during that time was how do I justify sitting in a, rule, in a room with a ruling pin drawing very <laughs> precise red lines um, that merged into blue lines <laughs> um, on a piece of paper when there was sort of all this turmoil out behind, behind me and, and around me. And so it was really kind of what can you do? You know, and I also saw that people were struggling. It seemed to me that that places had, were being removed, and um, I sort of didn't understand. I didn't know what all of that was, but I did start taking planning. And, and the great thing about Yale is you do not have to have a major. You basically have to take X number of courses during your four years, and they let you out, and they give you a degree. And it's really wonderful. Um, so you can study, and it means you can, um, as long as you don't fail at too many things, you can take courses that you really don't know if that's what you want to do. So consequently, Vincent Scully's classes were filled with people that were really pre-med because they just found and they knew it was a, a great course to take. Mm -hmm. So um, that's really the wonderful thing about being at that type of an institution. But I really felt I needed to do something. Unlike many people my generation, 
Um, I'm not a first-generation college student. Both of my parents were educated. Both my father was an attorney, so he had an advanced degree. My mother taught English. Um, and uh, they always expected me to do better than they did. And so since my father was already an attorney, my mother said, you have to be a doctor. Um, <laughs> so, you know, oh, okay. So I, I did have this pressure, what, what could I do? And so quite honestly, it was a situation, it seemed to me that architecture was a sort of intersection of visual things and mm -hmm. you know a a visual order it was also seemed to be able to affect um, how people lived and how people felt about what they lived and we were going through policy changes so that with urban design and city planning whether it was the physical side of that or the policy side of that it was really kind of a way to pull all of that together and then of course you're 18 19 and there's always a, you know, a significant other involved. And so there was a guy that was in the architecture school. Mm -hmm. And it was very interesting to see mm -hmm. what he was doing and um, what, you know, uh, what that could be. And so it was really through that that I said, oh, architecture, that, that really is something that might bring all of these things together. And um, so really kind of... Um, began to think about it for the first time and I was really at that time I was like 19 years old and I'd really never thought of architecture as a profession. So you went on beyond Yale then. Tell me about right. that. Well probably need to back up a little bit. Um, Yale um, was very interesting but it was also um, I had as a, a high school student, I had actually gone to school in England for um, a year, um, first as an exchange student, but then I stayed on and did my A-levels um, in England. That, one of the fascinating things about that, coming from New England, where things are really quite old compared to most things in the United States. Um, the church I went to was from 1629. Um, you know, sort of uh, you go to England, everything is, you know, 900. Mm -hmm. And they're fascinating things. They're fascinating churches that are just sort of crumbling in a field. They're, there's wood that, you know, goes back to 1000, 1100, and it's still, you know, you can still see the carving, you can still feel it. and. Uh, so I had seen, um, you know, parts of the world. Um, I had actually traveled to Poland. I had traveled to, to Italy during that time as a, as a high school student. The, when I got to Yale, I just quite honestly just got a little wonderlust and said I needed to leave. And so <clears throat> my junior year, I went to school in um, Cairo at the American University. And there, the culture and everything, including the buildings, were very different. At that point, I, I was interested in architecture. Um, and I decided this may be a way to, to do it. But the architecture there and the architecture of the villages, um, to, I just found very intriguing. Mm -hmm. And um, so, uh, 
you know, I studied that. I studied also what, what was happening with the building of the Aswan Dam, with the relocation of people, with the saving of, art, of um, ancient artifacts, um, those that they decided not to save, and how did they make that decision. So I really kind of just got interested in, um, in what to do. And um, so I took some time off and went to the American University, came back. And so after Yale, I decided, you know, I've been on the East Coast too long. What I really want to do is see a little bit more of the US. I'd seen a fair amount of the world at that, or mm -hmm. what I thought of, of the world at that time. So um, I went to graduate school in California and um, got my first taste of defeat, um, in a sense. Uh, because they said, oh, you went to, to Yale, well, that's not a professional degree, it's not an architecture major, you just took courses, so you have to start from ground zero. Wow. And so, at, so it meant, and, and they have a program for that, they actually have older students that come in that, that, that start, but it's a three-year program. And I said, but I've, you know, I've taken calculus, I've taken structures, I've you know, mm -hmm. taking this, I've done a lot of the prerequisites, and so I sort of traveled through and and made some enemies, made quite a few friends, um, but got out in two years just because I wanted to get out. <laughs> so, so I did get my master's from the University of California at Berkeley. And when did you come to Austin? Well, um, I've been. A resident. I've had a Texas driver's license since '73, so I guess you could say I was a resident. I started voting in '73, um, but I hadn't graduated yet. Um, basically, um, my husband uh, works at the or worked at the University of Texas. He was a professor of classics, and so really from '73 to '77, I was in and out of Austin. Um, I, remained in New Haven to finish up my degree there, came and lived in Austin for a year, then went out to Berkeley to get my graduate degree. My husband followed me out to Berkeley for a little while, and then we came back. So, so what year did y'all get married? We got married in 74. Okay. Tell me, I mean, we know you have your own firm and you've had your firm. Were there jobs you worked for other people before you had your own firm? I think probably, I think everybody in Austin of my age and vintage has probably worked for one of three firms. And so um, I, and, and it's, but it is a, a kind of funny story. Technically, my first job was with 3D International. But 3D International um, had just acquired uh, Brooks Bar, Graver, and White at that time, and so I'd actually been hired by David Graeber as part of Brooks Park, Graeber and White, unbeknownst to anybody, <laughs> so I sort of again came in and said, well, who is this person? Um, so I, I worked there, and then when um, they actually started Graeber, Simmons, and Cowan, I stayed with, um, with them, so I was one of the first, you know, what is it, mm -hmm. I think we, literally only had two employees or three employees or three architectural employees when they first started. So I was one of those first employees and stayed with them for several years. Is that the only firm? And that really is the only, the only. And that's where we met. At that, that, that is where we Right. 
Um, so you started your firm in what what year approximately? I started. Um, I did. I, I left um, uh, Graber Simmons and Callen in sort of 1981, uh, the fall of 1981. Mm -hmm. And I did some residential projects. I basically took some time off to study for the exam. Um, I figured by, by that time um, I had a child and um, I just couldn't see how I was gonna fit all of that into you know, mm -hmm. getting registered. So took that time off. I did do some, some residential projects and after I became licensed, um, then I started my own firm with the you know, mistaken uh, notion that it would give me more time and freedom and, <laughs> oh, I, you know. <laughs> that didn't turn out it, it, to it did turn not turn out to be the, <laughs> to be the case. But, uh, but anyway, that's... Uh, and you had a partner originally, right? Right. Um, my partner was Ruth Parshall, another woman. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we uh, had the partnership for about three years, three and a half, almost four years. Okay. Tell me what or who has inspired you in your career. I think in some ways the inspiration and this, I mean, I, it sounds worse and way cornier than it really is. Um, the inspiration has really been that uh, a kind of faith that things can be better and that the way things are better are people working, um, working together and working at something that they feel they're good at. You don't necessarily know how that's gonna fit into the bigger picture but just sort of having this faith that if you do this and you do it somewhat well, that it will contribute to the greater good. And so for me, um, you know, everybody has the same you know, sort of sets. I mean, I looked at my parents and what they had done and what they had been through and um, the, the, the way they did things, that gave me a lot of inspiration. It gave me a lot of support. They, um, they could have held me back in so many different ways that they didn't do it. Um, and it seems like at each point I would meet someone that would um, enable me to do something. You know, my husband's been a huge enabler, um, allowed me to, to make mistakes, allowed me not necessarily to have to feed myself during um, all of these times and being very understanding of that. Um, there were um, uh, professors in, um, obviously, at, at the university. Um, many of them were on the fringes of architecture, um, and it was that, that fringe between architecture, um, uh, you know, being a social activist, um, being engaged mm -hmm. in community. Um, Sarah Ishikawa, um, Charles Alexander, but then, you know, even someone like Vince Scully, um, that, um, uh, you know, in, in the way that he could look things, and then, you know, I can't, you know, on, on, the, on the other side, looking at other cultures, and, um, you know, so, uh, you know, learning about African art, learning about um, 
uh, you know, Oceana. I mean, th those kinds of, um, so, so those were really the inspirations mm -hmm. for. Um, they gave you energy. And right. And, yeah. you know, sort of said, okay, you know, you, you can do something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I know this is probably quite a lot of things you've done in the realm of Austin, Travis County boards, commissions, volunteer work. It kind of ties into what you're saying. Right. About and that fringe. And when I was young and had a lot of energy, um, a lot of my work in Austin had to do, obviously, with um, the, the growth um, of the city. And this was during times when we had great growth and times when we had no growth and times when we had, you know, the savings and loan bust and we were just down. It was, it's a, it's a continuing disparity we have between East and West um, um, in our ethnic and minority communities. So uh, I, I was on, um, you know, the downtown revitalization task force. Mostly it was task force. You know, I didn't have to sort of get sworn in as a commission. Um, it also meant that your penance was a lot longer because you had no term. I mean, it was mm -hmm. like you had a task to do, and these were these were big tasks that didn't get done. It sounds deceivingly short, <laughs> task, but it's actually it, forever, forever, forever. <laughs> okay, um, I see. Worked on the the many many moons ago, the land development code, um, the precursor to you know, what has morphed into probably one of the, the most difficult things to deal with, and we're obviously now trying to ratchet that back. But in that process, got involved with RUDAP, um, the, um, uh, with the AIA, and um, wasn't involved in the, the first application, but then as they were, I was working on a plan for East 11th and 12th Street, and um, so, it, probably through that capacity was involved with setting up um, you know, all the information that we gave the, the people that came in that were going to kind of help us. And, and interestingly enough, I mean, that RUDAT has sort of continued even on today. Mm -hmm. we, have, we continue to have updates, try to see what we have done. We were lucky enough to have um, a mayor um, in uh, Kirk Watson that said, you know, by golly, this is a blueprint for what we can do with our downtown. And so what we're seeing downtown today is very much a direct response, you know, response to that and and, and we're still using it. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, that's something I was also on the Miller Commission um, as we were transitioning from the, the vision that had been worked on for like 20 years by the residents around the old Miller Airport. Um, you know, now that it is um, going to be released to private development, how does that happen? And so really the, the first part was how would, you know, technically it's a PUD, um, how did that fit into, um, you know, our, our, the ordinances? What were going to be the development conditions and regulations that would mm -hmm. go, um, go along with this release? How, how do you address long-term affordability? Uh, you know, I guess it, at, at best I'm a pessimist, at worst I'm cynic. Um, 
it seems to me we never address the really hard things, things like long-term affordability. Mm -hmm. We don't want to take, the, the short answer is, or, and the short term always seems easier. Um, and no one seems to remember that a dollar spent today is still, even if it's a billion dollars, it's still a lot cheaper than trying to spend that billion dollars in 10 years. It will buy you so much more now if you bite the bullet and do what you need mm -hmm. to do to get that infrastructure in. So those are always the sort of the downsides of working on all of these things. In the, in the private side, the, I think the, the thing that's actually kept me energized is um, I, I truly believe that everyone has certain rights that, that, and that we as a community if we are a good and just community, we need to make sure our fellow um, people have this. And, and to me, it's, it's a home over their head. It's access to health care and access to food, access to education. And that's the only way we can thrive as a community. Mm -hmm. So I did spend a lot of time working first with Seton, um, at when it was really just a hospital Holy, and Holy Cross Hospital when it was still there, and then as they went on to form networks, and, and now um, at the Ascension, um, which is a, a very broad network, uh, but working with healthcare, and really that's the safety net. Um, what does mm -hmm. it mean? Um, quite honestly, when you have a, a religious organization taking on the safety net, um, hospital in a community that has um, the, the diversity of people that we have there, making sure that there's a voice that's speaking for the diverse population um, and trying to navigate so that everyone feels that they have fulfilled their own personal ethic and, and, and moral obligations. Um, so that's really kind of the things that have filled my time. Mm -hmm. um, I've worked on you know state been on the Texas Historical Commission, uh, which, you know, again, you know, being comfortable and understanding and knowing where your past fits into your future, to me, is something that, that too, is very important, because I come from a people that have, that, that our roots were torn from us. Mm -hmm. um, so we have a very young history here, um, and it's one that is constantly being manipulated and kind of taken away as well. So there, there's, there's, it, it lends to an aspect of homelessness. Mm -hmm. And do you think you became aware that at that time you were in England and seeing all the older, I really old women? And when I was in England, it was 1968. It was the Kent states, it was, we didn't talk very much about Jackson State where the, the black students were, were killed. Um, it was the trials and everything, and it was the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. That's right. So it was all of that, and we had, you know, it was the summer of love. I mean, you know, so you had all of that, you know, that was, that was just, you know, sort of fomenting and mm -hmm. turning around and shaping us. and. Um, yet I, I personally, um, as a young African-American, still a teenager, um, didn't know where I belonged. 
Mm-hmm. You know, was I going to be, you know, could I be a hippie? Well, no, I couldn't grow my hair <laughs> out that, that quite that long. Um, could, you know, was I going to go to Jackson State? We you know what I go, my, my mother was a graduate of um, Hampton Institute. Would I go to a HBCU? She said, no, you know, we're doing, you're going to go to an Ivy League school. I mean, it was like, you know, it was inculcated in me that, that, that this was, for them, this was the age of integration. And mm-hmm. so that, you know, we'd moved into a, basically a suburban town. And um, so I go to England and I'm, I'm feeling like I don't feel American. I mean, I don't feel like I'm the flag carrying, you know, U.S. Yeah. American. I, I'm some, I'm other. Mm-hmm. And I go there and they look at me and they say, oh, you're American. And so that just a position of they instantly know I'm American. I'm not sure, you know, why don't you think I'm from Avenue? Well, because you don't speak like that, you don't look like that, you don't, you're clothes. I mean, everything about me said American, yet I felt that if I went back home, they wouldn't think that I was an American. Interesting. And so it's, so for, yeah. it, it, it's a feeling of homelessness, it's a feeling of where is the community that says, in a sense, we're all a nation of homeless people, of nationless people, mm-hmm. um, but we've come together, and we've come together because our Constitution says that, um, because those were our founding fathers who had, you know, with all of that complication, still said that all men are created equal. And so, what does that mean as a community? So, that, so that that's fed a lot of mm-hmm. what I do, and, and in that sense, how I see architecture. Yeah, I see. Tell me about uh, some of your projects around Austin and Travis County. Um, Again, um, in a city that's had, you know, huge developments and then huge busts, um, having a small firm trying to sort of keep it going month to month to month, um, I, I fought very hard, worked with the various groups so that we would have goals for, you know, minority participation in public contracts. So many of my works have been public works, um, whether for the county, whether for the city of Austin, or for the state. Um, so um, the projects I've worked on, I've worked on a lot of fire stations. <laughs> um, and uh, Some historic. And, and then uh, obviously right. some historic projects. And some of the, the historic projects I've worked on um, are ones that people won't even know. I mean, um, when the Housen Community Center in East Austin, and we all know the name Elizabeth Housen from the Housen Library on the, on, the, on the west side, but when the community center, it was just crumbling into the ground in the 80s, so re- restored um, that, that building. Um, had, a, had a plan for restoring the old Keeling Junior High, and it mysteriously mm. burned down in the 1980s. Um, Worked on their historic Hanel grocery store, which for um, a while, probably everyone knows it as Shorty's Bar, and it was... Where is that? And it's on the corner of, um, and I always get my, I think it's it's Waller and 11th. It was the home for a while for Balcones Recycling once it got restored. But even through the 80s, uh, an old family member, uh, uh, 
the Hanel, a descendant of, of Hanel, had the building, and we kind of kept it propped up for about 10 years. We put a new roof on it, replaced a lot of the rotten wood. Shorty would still have his bar in the front. He had a Cadillac with Shorty on his license plate. And, you know, most people would find it scary, but in the end, it really was a neighborhood bar. Yeah, there were some nefarious things going on outside, but it wasn't unsafe. Um, mm -hmm. I never felt, I mean, I walked that street. I was seven months pregnant with my second child, and you know, I, I did not feel threatened um, in mm -hmm. one way, shape, or form. But we did restore that, that building there. Um, obviously, we were the architects for the Carver Library mm -hmm. um, and the Genealogy Center, which was the restoration of the original branch library that was moved from um, downtown to um, Angelina Street to become the first branch library for colored people. Um, and then we built the, the museum as well. Um, so, you know, those are the obviously important projects. So I think probably my most important project, again, um, was a planning project. And it's actually probably the thing I'm most proud about, and it was never accepted. The city put it on a shelf, but if you read it today, um, a lot of what we're seeing, good and bad, was talked about in that plan. And some of the bad things that we're seeing, I think if we had taken some of the, um, the, the sort of policy um, mm -hmm. uh, challenges and worked with them early on, we wouldn't have that. Um, was that 11th and 12th it, Street? It's 11th and 12th Street, and it was commercial development, but we talked about the development of a historic district. We mm -hmm. wanted St. Bernard to be a historic district. We noted a lot of the historic houses now at Juniper, which is a historic district. Um, <coughs> excuse me. We, um, but we talked about, you know, uh, having regional nodes um, at the interstate, trying to make the, the interstate both a buffer but an entrance. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, that happened. They put the gateway right. up. Um, we talked about um, mixed-use buildings. We were a little more gentle. We were talking about some three-story buildings, but we were talking about community parking. Um, that nut still hasn't been cracked over there. Um, but again, we you know, said as a policy, parking needs to be a shared commodity. Mm -hmm. um, we need to figure out a way to, um, to compensate people because they're going to be building it. But we need, it needs to be, people need to be able to walk. You, you shouldn't have to drive because now I'm going to the next store. Right. Um, <clears throat> we actually, before we even knew what it was called, talked about form-based code. We, we had a, actually an algorithm that we worked with a market person about increasing the density, the residential density could be increased fourfold simply using the form of a main house, a garage, garage apartment. And you could park it, you would have more people, it would, be, it would give the density to have things like grocery stores um, <clears throat> and surf, small service and so you wouldn't have the need for the regional retail to come into the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Boxes and uh, things. Right. Yeah. I, but that was 1982. So I, it's something I'm proud of, 
something no one will ever know I did anything to 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 influence to influence anything but to me I think it it has been an influence and well how did so your plan never got adopted officially it was accepted by the city council in 1983 and yet a lot of it's been implemented they they did another plan in the 90s the community redevelopment plan okay Um, and obviously at that point they were looking because there had been there had been plans by um uh uh, hayward jordan and mccown out of san antonio we had started the there had been a cdbg plan that kind of came after urban renewal, which had already wiped out a fair number of the quote-unquote dilapidated housing. Um, so they took those plans, and obviously people were had those as resources. Mm-hmm. Plenty of plans. They had plenty of plans. <laughs> um, so, um, and they did, at that point, do a redevelopment authority, the Austin Revitalization Authority. and. You know, whether they read it in the plan or not, all I can say is it's in the 1982-83 plan that you you were going to need that. I went a little bit further. I said you're going to need a community land trust. You also need a a development organization that can hold land, which they tried to do with ARA, that they could hold the land, they could develop it, they could release it at the schedule. Um, So so my feeling is, and, and even now people are talking to me about what can happen on the education and business side. And I said, look, what you really need, you just need to read it right here. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've said data and communication are gonna be something for the future. Um, And that what you need to figure out is what's the backbone of that? What's, you know, what's the production values? How do you teach that? Where does Houston Tillotson fit in Mm -hmm. to that picture as a resource? so yeah, players and, and mm-hmm. you know, this was before the internet. It was typed on a you know, sewing machine computer and we thought we were fancy. Um, you know, things were taped, the pictures were taped onto the page. Um, so this was a long time ago. <laughs> it's a generation ago. Do we have a copy of your plan at the Architectural Archives, do you uh, think? I believe you do. I, I think it is in the History Center. I'll look and see. That would be good for us to have. And that was done um, as a joint venture with, um, it was, I think it was Kinney, Kaler, and Cruz at the time, but it was Gerard Kinney. Okay. And is that the, the project you feel had the greatest that you've done that would have, you would say had the greatest impact on Austin, on its built environment? Well, in some ways, probably the work that I did and, and <clears throat> my volunteer efforts with RUDAT probably had the most. Oh, the broadest. Know, it's the yeah. broadest and whatever. I, um, I will probably never be able to say there's a cause and effect to that plan, but I just, I, to, to me, it, why I value it, it, it means that my thought process it has been validated. It was personally satisfying. It was personally satisfying I see. to see yeah, sure. um, that what I was thinking in '82, 
there's some merit in that mm -hmm. and a merit that has been shown over time right and probably another plan again and in that sense I don't think it's been influential mainly because I don't think it's been read by many people but as we all know in the in the trying to get transportation options in Austin we have sputtered through light rail rapid bus mass transit options for this community if you the first one I started with um, and my employee, um, who has gone on to an illustrious career with the city, um, was Kalpana Sutaria. She was an employee of oh, mine right. and, and, and worked um, on the, the first, um, <clears throat> and it was really an environment, environmental impact. Um, so we did cultural and visual and design implications of doing and if you look at the route, and that was in 1986, maybe, um, 87. If you look at the route, it's the same route we're still, you know, that we're, you know it, we've moved it a little bit here to go to Miller. We've moved it a little bit over here to take in more downtown. But, you know, we're looking at Lamar. You're looking at the rail lines that we have. Mm -hmm. We're looking at South Congress. We, and, and that started there. In 19, I believe it was like 1996, and my dates are always wrong, so, um, and as a historic architecture I, architect, I should be much better at this, and I'm not. Um, we actually did planning for all the station areas along a proposed light rail, and that was not a successful project. I think my client, Capital Metro, didn't like me. I think the city, who was not a client, but came in kind of, they didn't like me. Um, but I found it, and we had a very large team, and I, it was very interesting. And, and it was very clear to us that if you tried to develop a rail line, that policies in the city would have to change. That, that mm -hmm. where parking was, what, how you encouraged cars or no cars, and this was in the era where oh we'll have you know capture uh, parking around the edge and we'll bring cars around the edge. So we did the plan we were supposed to do. We did the illustrations of the park and rides. We did kiss and rides. We did um, little transit nodes. You know all very um, um, primitive. Um, first blush at mm -hmm. things now we almost take for granted. Um, but in that, we also issued a set of little policy notebooks that said, if this is to be successful, these are the kinds of policies that would have to come into place. And, um, and there might be some um, areas of innovation, like maybe you have a thing where you have you can park a car but you have some sort of card or something that when you get downtown you can get another car downtown mm -hmm. and then you return it there well this was before zip cars it was before cars card it, it was before any of any of these things that perhaps there could be an electric jitney service we you know if you try to put hard wire in downtown it's too inflexible and too expensive. Mm -hmm. 
even roots, if they don't pay for themselves, have to be moved around. But what if you just had, just like in a parking, you know, at a golf course or a, you know, a, a, a shopping mall for convenience, just a little electric cart. You know, you can make them four people, eight people, 12 people, um, and they can move and change. And, and then there was development. You know, these, these rules for development really will have to change. And we literally wrote them in little notebooks and said, this is policy one, policy two, and this goes with this, and they hated us. And I don't think anyone's read it. I think it would be, and I actually haven't gone back and collected them all into like one place. I think it would be very interesting. It would. And I think, again, I think I would be satisfied because I think some of it makes a whole lot of sense and some of it is now being done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you ever have a favorite client? I have a favorite client right now, um, not in Austin, and it's a family. Um, <clears throat> they are the Odom family. Um, they hail from far, far, far East Texas, almost Louisiana. The only place to say is in Jasper. Now that frightened me. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that frightened me. But <clears throat> they have a good reputation. I'm afraid <laughs> they. It does not have a good <clears throat> reputation. But they are an African American family, um, and they're very they're very tight knit, very close. Um, they've hated some of the people they married into. There have been all kinds of fights, all kinds of, but the, the direct Odom line, those that can, can tie themselves to the Odoms, have stuck together. And in that, it turned out that they were <clears throat> leaders and statesmen in a community um, that was probably a tenant farmer. I'm still trying to piece together how mm -hmm. it started but a tenant farming community in East Texas. So this is about 18 miles further east from Jasper into the woods um, in Newton County. And this town called Shankleville, and due to their preservation efforts now, it's now on the East Texas, um, Texas Historical Commission trail. trail. Mm -hmm. It's if you go to Bing and type in Shankleville, Texas, it'll pop up as a historic community and a place you can go to now. And it was a very a fairly large community. It had um, a elementary school, you know, everything. They had two schools, so basically kind of a high school and almost into a normal school um, and then everything underneath. Um, so there, there are two buildings. Uh, they had several churches. There were some feuds, so they had several churches, two churches and two cemeteries. Um, and then they had homesteads and far, farmland, and then people went off and, and worked um, in the uh, logging industry as well. This family has kept seven acres. And, um, they, and on that seven acres is a house that um, the, my client, um, her great-grandfather, I mean, I'm sorry, her grandfather built. And she remembers going there for homecoming, and it's a place they still use. 
So mm-hmm. they're restoring the homestead. The, they, they had stores. The store building is gone. There's really only one church left. The two cemeteries are still there. One is not on property that they own. One is on property they own. Um, the homestead is there. The building that was really kind of a utility building, it's, it was called Noah's Ark, it's there. There's, some, there's a smokehouse uh, uh, and, and a meat house, a uh, chicken coop, some cr- uh, uh, um, corn crib, uh, a, a barn crib. Um, and so they want to preserve that um, as a place where um, you know, eventually turn it into a heritage tourism, mm-hmm. educational site, educational mm-hmm. site, but also a place that other families can use for a reunion. They had a reunion sycamore tree that was on its towards the end of its life. They had A and M come up and graft from that tree so that they could have um, legitimate a son of the sycamore, sycamore of right? original sycamore. For, um, so they've been very interesting yeah. and very, very tied to that land. They all go back for homecoming. They've started something called the Purple Hulled Pea Festival in June. Um, and they've gotten you know, interested in both the kitchen gardens as well as the farming mm-hmm. gardens that they had. There's a spring on the site. We, we've engaged some amateur um, state archeologists that are coming in to collect um, you know, what we're finding um, as we go through. But for me, the, and why they're the best clients, um, you know, most of the work that I've done has been pro bono, um, to be honest. It's just their attitude. Um, it's They're doing some of the work themselves. Um, they do take guidance um, from, from the restoration architect. Um, sometimes, you know, most of the time they do, sometimes they don't. But they, and, and then, the elders are bringing the kids um, when the kids are about 17 or you know when they're teenagers they start working the little kids sometimes you know they just go around and pick stuff up um, but they're there they're mm-hmm. not whining they're not um, they understand you know and they're kids and you know yeah there's some crying and and but it's all done um, because this is something that the family's going to and so that's that's it's just been it's just been wonderful. I can see why you'd enjoy that. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Do you, in your firm, have a preference for the business side versus design side? I personally like the design side. But I spend all my time on business. Yes. So, um, <clears throat> and I, my firm is very small. That I have um, three people that have been with me for over ten years, and two people that have been with me close to twenty years. Um, wow. And so, my method of design right now is um, and it's gotten a little worse because we, we rely more on computers but basically I would take something about the size of that pink post-it note and I would draw a very tiny little Just sketch about on it. two inches by two <laughs> inches. Right. Yes. I'd draw a very tiny little sketch and I'd just put it on someone's desk or if someone especially the um, 
two people that have worked with me the longest and they might be working on something and they would just get another you know index card with a piece of a sketch on it or this is the detail or this is and it was that kind of almost iterative process, design, process. Mm -hmm. um, and that allowed me even though basically I was just trying to balance the books and write contracts and Get new work. Get new work, which seems to be thirty percent of the time or fifty percent of the time. So, um, so I I always felt that I um, had a hand mm -hmm. in for better or for worse in the design, and I also felt when I didn't have a hand in the few times when I didn't, things went horribly wrong, um, and. Some of that, it probably didn't go horribly wrong, but I felt it went horribly wrong. It wasn't what you expected. It wasn't what I expected, and I wasn't happy with it, and, um, and I knew ultimately I, needed to, I had to take responsibility for it because my name was still on the, mm -hmm. on, on the document. Right. Um, so, um, so I like design, but I'm not... You know, I, as I said, I came in from graphic artists, I'm, so I'm not a live artist, I'm a terrible artist. I have astigmatism, so nothing is straight. They also had to learn to tilt everything 18 degrees to the left, because otherwise it wouldn't be straight. Um, and, um, but to me, it's, it's, um, it's, so I've always been either the really big picture of how things need to go together, mm -hmm. or the absolute detail. So it's the it's the middle part that I've been um, I really need and and value the collaboration in the middle to get the things to 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 to, to work and to, to make sure I've you know kept the code in mind and 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 all of the things that people often don't think about when they think about architecture. That, that really right. do have to have to work. But obviously, those people who have been there ten or twenty years mm -hmm. must like that that piece of the process and working with you. I think what um, they like is that I think they can always see themselves in it as well. So this mm -hmm. it's I'm I mean we're all ego driven to a certain degree, but I don't think I'm an ego driven architect. I don't think. Uh, I mean, I've always said that, that for better or for worse, I get to walk away from every project I do. My client does not. My client has to live there, they have to work there, they have to take care of it. Um, they, in the end, need to be satisfied. And, and, mm -hmm. if, and if they're not, then I, I've failed at something. Um, you know, if, if I have a favorite type of, you know, I've always been this sort of international Bauhaus, very cold, straight line. You know, I was the graphic, I was the ruling graphic <laughs> artist. I was going to make those things fit on that page no matter what. Um, but, you know, I mean, and so I, you know, the, my formative years were during the, you know, the five, art, the white architects. Mm -hmm. the, um, and no crumpling up paper, uh, right? No, and, and seeing, you know, making sure the computer could put it together. Draw that. No parametric scaling of the exterior of the building. No, it was like Richard Meyer talking about redoing, you know, a Connecticut house for a family that had teenagers, and he put in like 
you know, four under-counter refrigerators because he didn't want a vertical refrigerator to break the horizontal line of the kitchen. Well, that's nonsense. I'm sorry. It's beautiful, but it's nonsense. Looks good in the magazine. And it looks fabulous <laughs> in, the, in the magazine. You know, so to me, it's figuring out, okay, if I look and turn a corner, you know, where does a vertical line make sense? Okay, well, then maybe that's how we fashion the know. kitchen. Mm-hmm. What would you say have been the highlights of your career? Um, the one that I didn't expect um, was being um, elevated to the College of Fellows. Um, to me, I mean, we, can, we can edit this out later. Um, you know, I, I, the College of Fellows. I mean, I'm sort of like Woody Allen. I really never want to belong to a club that would allow me to be <laughs> in the club. And the fact that you're not just tapped one day, you know, so the great thing about secret societies, they just sort of come and tap you and mm-hmm. say, now you're, you're a member. One of the things that I don't like about being an architect is that it's a lot of self-promotion. It's not in my... Maybe it is in my DNA, but I it is doesn't not, come naturally. It does not come naturally. It is not something that I want. And to me, if what I do is valuable, someone will 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 notice that, and someone will say that. And if they want to give me something to acknowledge that, then that would be grateful. But for me to spend all of that time, so I so I rationalized it by well, this will make my mother really happy. And, and it is a lot of work to put together. It's, those, it is those binders, and um, and it's a lot of for for many because I also feel that most of my best work has been done with other people. It is me working with other people. It's me mm-hmm. being part of a community. It's me. Um, it's 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 a team, and it's not you know I'm not the best thing since sliced bread, and um, so. And so that whole thing is just so antithetical. Mm-hmm. And when, when you think about all of the, many of the awards in our profession, whether they're design awards or any other recognition, it's something that's initiated by you or your firm in one way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Um, and they so have people in their firms dedicated to, to that purpose. Getting that done. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, and, and, and it's great, and I always like to see what, what other people are doing and, and, and how they get it done. Um, it's just, it's, it's not me. So that, I mean, I think, so, so that, but getting that, and now, um, you know, but I also want to say, okay, well, what does that mean to the profession to have this College of Fellows? And, um, you know, when when I started, I sort of felt like it's kind of like a good old guys club, and I still think that's probably where it started. Um, as much as many of my um, you know colleagues would say, no, 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 Donna, that's terrible, that's sacrilege, you can't say that. Um, but you know, I just sort of think of bourbon and cigars. I mean, <laughs> it's yeah. um, and a club, yeah, and, and a club. Um, obviously, now we do scholarships. We 
you know, we, we work with the, but I don't, I honestly don't think we do enough. I think we need to, to I mean, I think in some ways Austin has a very active um, group. Mm-hmm. They try to get together. They try to, um, I mean, we've had people that have had just great ideas about, you know, well, we're in Austin, we see each other. You know, how can we help a rural architect um, who doesn't have mm-hmm. a, a, a big social set um, of their peers around them? So, so I, there's a lot of good that can come out of that, and um, you know, that's. I'm happy to hear that. That seems like a newer development because in past years, I don't think that was always true. Um, well, I know Heather McKinney's been. She may have even thought it up. I mean, mm-hmm. been really active. That's great. And um, so I think Austin's been really fortunate to have. Um, I mean, they'd be good no matter who, what, you know, male, female, you know, hippopotamus. Mm-hmm. I mean, they really, you know, we've just had some some really dynamite people, um, and um, and we've been leaders. able to take and leaders. Mm-hmm. Been yeah, very fortunate. And of course, part of it is we have so many more fellows now. In the past, sometimes you only had a few fellows right. still living at one time. Right. So it's helped that we've grown. That is the daunting thing now. You know, I used to think of you know being sixty is old, and now you know that's just the. Spring chicken. Exactly. So I probably know the answer to this. Are you a sketcher? <laughs> I, I actually I am. Yes and no. So I'm not someone who just always has a sketchbook and travels and travels to. I'm not a Tom Shuffleman <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. But I do. Um, I jot things down, and. I jot things down. Sometimes they're graphics, sometimes they're words, and sometimes they're a combination mm-hmm. of graphics and words. So you do keep a notebook with you at all times? I don't or? keep a notebook with me at mm-hmm. all times. I will come back and do so it's 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 more a it's more literally a notebook. Mm-hmm. And that's one of my so I um actually and and, and may never be able to have one again. But I actually use a Samsung tablet as well, and so I actually will, and it has a stylus, and mm-hmm. I will sketch in that, so I can, and, it, and it's very easy to do, but it, they're not supporting it anymore, so who knows, oh. but. Um, well, there'll be something else There'll be something along. else, but, but this is lightweight and just real easy to, mm-hmm. with enough page space, it's not like a phone, because um, they sure. are continuing to make the phone, but they're just not really supporting this. Tablet, the tablet, the bin. So I'm a little bummed about that. Tell me about your typical day. Do you have a well? Ritual? Now that I'm old, <laughs> typical day is go to the chiropractor. <laughs> go to the check your medications. Check check my medications. Go to the gym. Um. <laughs> And then you're finally ready to start the day. I'm finally <laughs> ready to start the day. Eat my banana. <laughs> uh, yeah, make sure everything is, check my blood pressure, make sure everything's okay. Uh, and then um, it, it, then I'd go to the office. On an ide- and ideally, 
now the way it works is that I would have gone to the gym, I would have left my car at the office, I would have walked home, do what I need to do, um, and then walk back to the office so that I actually get a little bit more exercise and just be able to stop and think. Um, but yeah, most of the time it is reading emails. Again, I try not to read, it, read emails all day long, so I tend mm -hmm. to bunch it up. Um, and then, um, you know, it's, it's making sure that things have, have gone the way they should, kind of keeping tabs on a calendar, um, you know, which projects are bubbling up or bubbling down. Um, and uh, it depends, things get very cyclical. Um, if we have things under construction, then tend to try to go out if I can see things. Right now we have um, a fair number of projects in East Texas, so there's some travel. Mm -hmm. um, and then that rearranges what happens um, sure. later on. So um, unfortunately it's a, it's a long day. I usually don't get home till about eight o'clock. Um, when you look back at your um, early part of your career, was there a project or a moment where you thought, oh, I've made the right decision to go down this path and... Uh, well, you know, I, it's... Or did and, you and always I, feel that that was the right thing? You know, it was funny. When I started, when we moved to Texas, we really thought we weren't going to stay here. We're both from um, the Northeast. Um, we had both lived in small towns and in big cities. Austin was kind of, kind of neither of those. But my husband being a classicist, um, you know, those jobs aren't, you know, that everywhere. easy to find. Not yeah. everywhere. And Texas was large. It could support um, the humanities. Uh, at least at that time, even though there was a bit of a purge going on with uh, silver, but um, <laughs> anyway, uh, that's another story. Uh, so we always thought, well, I could find a job anywhere, and you know, we could pick up stakes, and I, you know, go to Boston, mm -hmm. and I go work at a firm, I could do this. And then when I started my own firm, I suddenly realized that, well, that I really couldn't pick up. And, and do, um, yet it was also, you know, the first time that I could really just, you know, leave the office because, you know, not even something had happened, just because I wanted to be able to spend that time with one of the children or mm -hmm. go away, you know, very suddenly and just leave for three or four days. Um, I suddenly realized that whether, it's directly related to architecture or directly related to my situation that this was probably a, a good life. And, the right balance. Of, and, and yeah. it, you know, not necessarily the right balance because, you know, I think anyone from people in my office to my family will say that I work too hard. Um, work, you know, I'm a sort of workaholic. Um, but but somehow that, that made sense to mm -hmm. me. I think 
I think for anyone, anytime, the first thing that you build, that you actually see coming up out of the ground. Um, and obviously I did a lot of remodeling, but the first time you're looking at a bare piece of land and... and it's you know, brand new. It's brand new and, and there are forms in the ground and the trucks come and start to pour concrete. I mean, suddenly it hits you. This is, you know, this is going to be, mm -hmm. you know, something. And, and you realize you, you like that. Um, so, you know, that I think is... When that happened, yeah. you knew. Yeah, right. Is there a time in your career that you would say things have been the most challenging? Well, obviously, I don't remember the 80s at all. You know, people keep saying, oh, that music, that's from the 80s. Oh, I no, just I don't, don't remember the 80s. I don't either. remember it's the Because we had children. Yeah, the kids were little. You were, I, I just, I don't remember them. I, you know, maybe when I get old and, you know, everything, you know, today doesn't matter, but yesterday does. Um, so, you know, so to, that was clearly a challenge, and it was a, a challenge at the office, it was a challenge to my marriage, it was a challenge with the kids, um, and it, at the very beginning, there were lots of challenges. Um, there were going, going onto a construction site and mm -hmm. having people make comments like, um, you know, sorry, we don't have any watermelon today, or you know, seeing um, you know horribly graphic um, uh, cartoons written on a stud, um, nasty names written mm -hmm. on parts of the construction, people not talking to you. Um, so that's that can be very debilitating. Sure, and it's, it's horrible. Um, and that was a lot of the atmosphere, probably into the early '90s. Even mm -hmm. you could go onto a site. Even um, you know, I, I mean, I had to work through large projects where clearly the superintendent did not want to communicate. Communicate. Yeah, um, that's definitely a challenge. And that's a challenge. And. Quite honestly, I don't ever know whether that's a challenge I'll meet tomorrow. I mean, it's not, it's not that it's totally gone away. Mm -hmm. So at any time. And the big issue is, and not that there's only one way to deal with anything, but the big issue is, are you going to let that define you? And I have to admit, I'm a non-confrontational person, so I will... I will take it and I'll try to work around it. It's I am not I am not the the protester with the with the mm -hmm. sign um, in your face all the time. Yeah, I may carry one every once in a while, but it's so. Sure. Um, then you have to create ways of dealing with it that that you feel still have some integrity that leave you with some integrity, and that's that for me has always been a challenge. Mm -hmm. So coping with that would be what sending someone else in at times or? no usually coping with that is as you said at the you know when we were talking is trying to be the best that the 
much, much better than they are. Mm -hmm. Now, at times it gets spiteful. I just start stringing together words that I have, I'm pretty sure they have no idea what they mean. That doesn't really work. I mean, it may make you feel better at that time. It doesn't obviously help the project. Mm -hmm. So, so yes, there, it, it can get inappropriate really quickly, but there is sort of times when I felt I had to do something. I just, because that just made me feel better. Sure. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, yeah. And, and that, um. I mean, language, it turns out, has probably been my biggest challenge. Uh, partly because, so working on the plan in the 1980s, go to a public meeting in East Austin, People, for me, you know, they look like my grandmother, they look like my mother. Um, you know, I feel that I relate, can relate mm -hmm. to the community. Well, first question is, well, where are you from? I said, well, I live in Austin. I do, I live on West 9th Street. And they said, no, that's not what we asked. We said, where, where are your people from? So then I say, well, you know, I grew up there. Now, I do have some Southern roots, so I can, you know, mention Memphis, Tennessee, but they clearly, Oh, so you're not from around here. They want local. They, really local. they wanted local. Mm -hmm. And then um, vernacular, how, what I called things, um, how I spoke. Interesting. Um, so I thought you were going to say you needed to speak Spanish. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I, no. Well, that, that I probably needed too. Um, and I didn't. But um, it, that, that would have helped. But um, no, it's it's... And 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 I and I've now been reading, you know, how politicians communicate, how how really successful CEOs or or not even CEOs, but entrepreneurs and and um, game changers, how they speak about um, their innovation. Mm -hmm. And sort of the more far out it is, the successful ones speak in simple sentences that are comprehensible by a third grader, anywhere from third to eighth grade. And if you get above eighth grade, you're interesting. And you will lose, um, you know, you, you, you kind of lose people, you know, obviously anytime you throw in a, technical term, an acronym, mm -hmm. or some buzzword. Right. And so the really successful, you know, the Elon Musks of the world actually speak very, very simply. And that was never, for, and it's probably a personality, never my virtue. Sure, your mom was an English teacher. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so that has, that has been a downfall. I see. Interesting. Okay. Let's see where we are in our questions. Well, I have this question that I modify for uh, the person I'm talking to, and it's how much has being blank influenced the path you chose or the decisions you made in your career? And at times I fill in female, Hispanic, African-American, gay, 
so I got two out of you yeah. got two <laughs> options here. Well, How would you say being an African American female has? Well, I mean, first of all, it it affected me becoming an architect in the sense that I really felt I needed to be of value. I needed to be of use. And one of the things that I think um, discrimination in my lifetime um, and in my age cohort, one of the things that discrimination sort of took away from us, I thought, I think, and maybe it was just me personally, took away the sort of panoply of career options. Mm -hmm. I felt I had to be professional, I had to make more money than my parents did, which sort of probably has never happened, um, you know, just, um, but there were whole sort of things, and so to me that narrowed it down. My brother's a musician, constant, you know, source of problems between my brother and my parents because he chose an art, you know, so I didn't feel I could be an artist. I didn't, you know, mm -hmm. even then I felt, well, maybe a graphic artist, and, you know, I could work at a newspaper or something, and, or a magazine. Um, I sort of never felt that I could do something that was purely creative, purely entertaining, you know, didn't mm -hmm. have some underlying... Responsibility. Right, being an adult. <laughs> grown up. Being, making a grown up decision. Mm -hmm. So, so I, and I think that's colored by being African American, not so much by being female, but certainly by being, being an African-American. Mm -hmm. um, being, but, but both of them have mainly because it is hard to disentangle what someone is reacting to. And, um, I, and sometimes I, I never know and I'll attribute it to one thing or the other or, or you know, who knows. So, um, so I think it's definitely affected the choices. It's affected um, it, the fact that probably a third of the work that we do is either volunteer or pro bono. Um, I have, you know, have always tried to offer my services to people and clients that may not even know what an architect is or what they mm -hmm. do or why they should pay for it. Um, so, and whether that's, you know, me being a mother or, you know, the nurturing, I, but people who know me know that that's not me. So I guess it's, <laughs> that ain't it. But, um, so, uh, you know, I, all of that, I think, has um, played a part in what it is that... The directions you've taken. And the directions, yeah. the decisions I've made for better or for worse. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Do you have artistic pursuits or interests that you've integrated into your architecture, your design? Um, not that I've entered, well, some. I mean, again, the graphic artist, I think, still comes mm -hmm. back. And so one of the things um, is color, just things that I do that I like they tend to be very colorful or have colors and patterns associated with them. Mm -hmm. um, and usually if I describe them, 
everybody says, oh, you know, you can just sort of, you know, the, the cringe is palpable. <laughs> <laughs> And you're trying to verbally describe, right? You know, I say, oh well, it's it's a little it's a little purple with some green, and then some, you know, you just you mm-hmm. just you kind of throw all that out, and everyone's just you can just see everybody reeling back, and then I say, and this is what it is, and I say, oh, not not so bad when <laughs> they see it. When they, they see it, they yeah. actually see what what was being done and and oh yes they can tell that that is really purple but it actually is a very light purple or whatever whatever the deal is so um so that so my artistic tendencies um you know like right now i just i I take a ton of photographs um don't do a thing with them but i just take a ton of photographs but part of that is and most of them are not recognizable by you know they can be a photograph in in um, you know the Chinese Museum in in of history in in Taiwan and in Taipei they and no they wouldn't even know what it was mm-hmm. because I'm taking it's either because like in that situation it might be because gold yellow green and red and orange were in this one particular place um, so. That helps me sure. put some of mm-hmm. these disparate things together, and I figure, oh, when I retire, I'll go through and sort of make, you know, f- um, kind of collages of, of of all of these things. But of course, I won't get that done. <laughs> so travel. I'm not sure this is even on my questions, but <laughs> it sounds like travel has been a part of your life and. Travel has been a part of my life, um, and I, I have been very fortunate that my parents traveled, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> but also that they let me do things that a lot of parents would not. I mean, I did. I was 16 years old, and I went to England, and then I said, Mom, I'm not coming home. <laughs> and, you know, they talked to the headmaster, and the headmaster said, no, it, she, it really is pretty pretty good having her here. and so. And I said, oh, and by the way, I may actually want to go to college. And so I took my A-levels because I actually at that point thought I wanted to go um, to college in England. Um, And then when I told him I wasn't going to go back to Yale my junior year, I was going to go to the Middle East. I mean, you know, a lot of parents would have said, you're on your own. You're on your own or or worse. Uh, And... Um, and then when I got married, my husband travels, and so that has been a, a huge thing. And then we traveled with our kids. It's gotten a little bit. Um, it's kind of come to a head now, and part of it is realizing that um, we're getting older, and the fun of traveling is to be able to walk or to be able to hike and just to mm-hmm. to, to not only see you know, the, the great built environment, but the great natural environment. And we're not going to be able to do that for forever. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying, we're doing a lot of traveling now. Um, we're fortunate enough that people pay for my husband to travel, so I, I just sort of tag along. Um, but so, yeah, that, it's, it's, a, it's a huge part. I'm headed to Russia in two weeks. Great. Um, and then after that, I'll be in Dublin, and after that, I'll be... You know, it's it's, and 
um, and 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 it's been, you know, we've been to Asia, um, but we also realize we really haven't because you know you, you know, you can't just be there for you know even a week. You, no. it's, it's such a different. Mm-hmm. So um, so yeah, all those things are in the future if our future um, allows it. Good. Uh, let's see here. We're way over an hour. I talk a lot. It's all very interesting. What advice would you give architecture students, our young architects, today? As much as I am not a sketcher, I think right now we still need to realize that hand-eye coordination, brain, is very important. And with the computer, the computer allows you to do a lot of dumb stuff. Quickly. Very quickly. Mm -hmm. And then to undo it quickly. And so therefore you think you can do it again. And you think you can do it again and again and again and again because it's so quick to do it. So I I think there is still value. I mean, they, they need to learn how to print. They need to learn cursive. I mean, evidently cursive isn't being taught anymore. Okay, so I'm, I'm very old school. I mean, I, I think those things are very valuable because part of it is how do you organize that page? How do you, but it's also how do those building materials go together? I mean, it used to be when someone came in for an interview that so there were two, two tests. They had to hand fill out, there were probably three, had to hand fill out their application, even if they had typed and sent one in. I said, no, you need to write. The, and part of it, I just wanted to see how they wrote, how their handwriting broke down over a four-page um, piece of paper. Um, then they had to, I said, OK, I'm a drop of water. Where do I in, give them a picture of a section? Where do I travel? In this, and some of them were were a good detail, some of them were bad details. I just wanted to know where they thought the water was going to go. And then the third one is, I did. I just wanted them to write some notes to note a detail. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was way after we had started using computers. And and you know, rightly or wrongly, I just felt that told me a little bit about them. And, and not that you had to get it all right, but there always seemed to be clues as to how they thought about things, what, what they saw or they didn't see in any given mm-hmm. situation. So I think that is important. But I think it's also important to know that no matter what you learn today, it's going to be outdated in two years. What I know, it's a little bit different for me because I'm in historic preservation, so there, there are things that I'm always going to have to kind of keep the way they were. Um, but if you think about what a quote-unquote standard residential wall section looked like in 19, mm-hmm. quite honestly, in 2000, and what it looks like today, 
it's entirely different. Sure. And so you always have to um, be learning something mm -hmm. new. Um, I, as an architect, there are architects that, you know, they have studios and it's a, you know, it's a educational studio. They only do schools or it's a, you know, medical. They mm -hmm. only do hospitals they do, and they know hospitals inside out and, and probably why I'll never get to work on another hospital again because now they're people that that's all they do. Um, for me, I've always been a generalist and for me that's been the fun, it's been the challenge. Um, I think I've been responsible at being that generalist. Um, but, you know, it's, it's like if I do a fire station, I get to be a fireman. I get to think like a, mm -hmm. a firefighter. Mm -hmm. um, if I do a, a clinic, I get to think like a clinic. But what it allows you to do is to realize that any activity is really a process. And it allows you to analyze a process and what makes the process work or not work, where, you know, what, what can be root causes of failure. And this could, you know, and quite honestly, I've been able to, to carry that into working with hospital, working with a hospital as a lay person um, in, you know, overseeing um, and providing governance and, and pathways for quality in, in a hospital setting. Um, so, so I think that being able to think, you know, we used to think of it as, pro as you know, problem seeking and problem solving. Um, but those really are, um, th th those are, those are the core things. Fundamental skills, yeah. <clears throat> and, mm -hmm. you know, so for me, if I ask you to do something and you say, well, I don't know that, to me that's like the wrong, not only the wrong answer, it's the wrong attitude. I mean, because generally it's something that you, you can learn more about. Mm -hmm. Sure, there are going to be questions and sure there are going to be things that, that will have to be massaged and worked through but you should be willing to, and really kind of know how to attack that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's our value, that's our value when we go into, you know, whether we go into, you know, um, you know, being a mayor or being a governor or, you know, you know I think that's a value that we bring. That architects bring. That architects mm -hmm. bring to the table all the time. Yeah. Um. What do you feel are the most important factors influencing the future of architecture in Austin, in the Austin area? Well, I think this is a challenge. It's not just for Austin. Mm -hmm. um, well, I, th I think there are challenges for Austin. There are challenges um, because Austin is unique. It's not a large city, but it's not a small city. It is not, um, it, it has diversity. It has obviously anchors of government, anchors of education. Um, our tech anchor, it could go away tomorrow, but you know, the education and the government are going to be here. So again, to me, the challenges are always who and what are we as a community? What are our values as a community, and how how do we live and perpetuate and 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 promote those values within the community? How do we educate our children? Um, if we say we want a walkable community, to me the challenges are 
how do you actually have work-life balance so that children, it's not just that they're being driven everywhere, or mm-hmm. that there's a helicopter parent hovering over them, that they literally, they can, they can walk in a safe environment, both from people, from automobiles, safety from, from all aspects, um, environmental safety, um, that they can walk to the things that they need, that we could somehow, in, what are we going to do with all us old people, you know, the gray tsunami, and, and mm-hmm. um, you know, where do we live? Who takes care of us? Um, how do we at least be useful far past our retirement? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you integrate that into this walkable, safe community? I, I think we can answer some of those, but we do have to think differently. We have to think about small catchment, you know, to, to use the, the planning term catchment areas. But if you think about it, we already have that. Elementary schools, we tend to put them in mm-hmm. clusters. If elementary schools started to be a backbone that was also our recreation, it was everybody's library. If it was, if, if our healthcare in a sense sprang from that, we, you know, you, you treat the child, you treat the family. If our old people, our, our elders could stay in that community, they can volunteer in the school, they can volunteer in the garden, we can eat out of that garden. If we, you know, it, it, if that becomes our nucleus, mm-hmm. Um, and we start to look at safety in that environment, look at um, if, if people are working at home, what does that mean? And it's not a crime to let your kid walk 10 blocks away. Or ride their bike. Or ride their to bike. To their friend's house. Right. Or, right. So, um, <clears throat> you know, and, and form code, form-based codes are going to fail too. I mean, we're starting to see that failure in the sense that if I go down Lamar, it looks like Dallas. You know, it, mm-hmm. as soon as you become totally formulaic in what you're doing, whether it's a written code, proscriptive, prescriptive, whatever term you want to use, then you lose that vitality. So, so, to, so to me, part of planning is serendipity. Mm-hmm. Not what, planning. <laughs> not planning. What can happen by... And it's not so much by accident, but if people are thoughtful, how can things be different? Responding to the needs of those little those, those little people, and mm-hmm. and and if we start judging things um, more by, you know, first do no harm, mm-hmm. and if it's shown not to be harmful, then let's go ahead and, and let that happen. Yeah. Okay. Do you have any favorite places in Austin? Oh, my favorite places in Austin. My favorite places in Austin tend to be the natural areas. Oh, okay. I'm still, um, I, I love to walk, you know, the green belt. Um, it's gotten obviously more crowded. I remember in 19, you know, when we first moved here in 73, you could actually still go up to us through and, and mm-hmm. up and you could kind of sneak up in those areas and you know I guess it's Campbell's Hole or whatever I remember you know even in the mid-80s walking up there with our kids and I but I still enjoy that I still enjoy that 
and you know, and I respect the fact that you know, one day that can be rushing water, and the next day is you know, or two days later, it's, it's bone dry. Dry. Um, yeah. So you know, so to me, that's um, that's you know, and and the fact that that can happen close to the city, mm-hmm. I think, is very important. Um, I think the the boardwalk has been a great. Um, contribution but again I what I like is you know still being able to go down you know on the north side just from the neighborhood the fact that Mm -hmm. you can walk down and 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 kind of and and you know and I think it's you know it's it's great that we've removed some of those industrial um, activity and we need to do more we need to make sure it's clean and and safe for people I'm obviously not a fan of tearing everything in East Austin down, um, but it's happening. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, I guess in the end, I really just like the the natural environment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you'd like to add or? No, I, I don't think so. I, um, I mean, thank, thank you for doing this. As I said, oh, I'm... Uh, oh, it's a pleasure. Your I, story is great. I, uh, I mean, it, for me, it's just my story. And it's, it's my every day. I understand that. And, and what I enjoy about doing this is the adding up of all, all those little stories that right. as I interview different people and how they all... It's surprising how the paths have crossed. Right. And, um, I mean, when you say, I, I asked you who you had interviewed already, and you said um, Bob Coffey and Tom Shuffleman and Evan and his dad, for his dad. And those are all people that actually, when I first moved here, um, were people that were, in a sense, influential. They were very accepting of me mm-hmm. um, and, um, and worked with them. And, you know, and I guess one person I should mention because to me he was such an anomaly. I mean, I, I, let's put it this way. When I first met him, I didn't know whether to think of him as genuine. Um, and that was Jim Fluger, James Fluger. Oh. And, you know, I was lucky enough to work with Gerard Kenny on the Fluger Bridge, and I'm mm-hmm. glad that it was named the Fluger Bridge. And this is because in the, when I, I did become very active in AIA when I first, um, first moved and before I had the kids, um, and Jim Fluger was very much encouraging me to you know, take on more leadership in the AIA and to work with the and I, at first, I was suspicious. Yeah. You know, who's who's this? You know, older Anglo guy. What mm-hmm. what's he what's he want? What's 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 going on? And um, and the more I worked with him, and the more he just was very genuine, mm-hmm. and I was surprised. And um, I shouldn't have to have been surprised. And I'm sorry in a way that I was, that I didn't just take it mm-hmm. and face trust. Just trust. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, so, you know, that 
um, you know, and, and, and his death hit, hit me yeah. you know, very hard. Um, but certainly, you know, Tom Scheffelman, we've worked together over the years. And, and, you know, his first, his, you know, the early, before I got here, the things that he had done in terms of planning um, Waller Creek and um, the downtown. I mean, again, all these Congress were, Avenue. Congress Avenue. These mm -hmm. were all seeds right. um, that were, were being planted. And, um, and then, you know, and Alan, um, again, I, I worked with him on several projects. But you know that whole family was you know dynamo. Yeah. So um, well, thank you for all you've done for Austin, and thank you for doing the interview with me. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Tony. Mm -hmm.